Good morning, RCC. Wow. That was impressive. Impressive. I'm going to have to tell the first gathering about you all. Uh, Really glad that you're here this morning. Uh, My name is Tim. I'm the uh, interim pastor here at RCC. Uh, It's it's kind of funny when I think that. So uh, it's been great to work with the staff here, and Jamie does an amazing job. It's really, uh, to me, I mean, I've been around the church thing for a while, and it's uh, really a pleasure to work with the worship team, with Jamie, particularly in an interim role. Like, we're both interim folks, but we love this community and love what's happening in this community. I know there's a lot of transition. For those of you who have been around this church for a while, there's a lot of transitioning happening, and that's going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. A good... There you go. That's, that's good. Yes, that's good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely applaud about that. It's all going to be okay. I have a good friend of mine, a mentor uh, of mine who, who I love dearly. I, I was sitting in a, uh, a, I was like a workshop with him one day, and he's in his 70s, and I was in my, you know, early 40s, and we were both at this workshop, and, and the topic was uh, things you've learned in ministry, okay? And again, he's in his 70s. I'm in my early 40s. I'm like, I, I, there's nothing I'm going to say here that he is not really going to blow. So we're sitting there, and you know the questions are coming. It's like, what's the most important thing? What's the most important lesson you've ever learned? And um, I don't know. I, I gave something that I thought was probably pretty smart at the time that you know these young kids could take and, and learn from. And, and this guy sits there, and he just kind of thinks for a bit, and he just he looks out and he goes, probably it's that this, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. And I was like, all right, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm done. I, there's nothing I can say that's going to be more wise than, than that. And, and, it, and it is very true. Like there are seasons and there, there are times where, you know, we wonder kind of what's, what's happening. But I just want you to know, Jamie and I working here, we, it's a privilege and an honor to work here. We believe in this community, believe good is happening in this community, and we're excited for, for where that's taking us. Uh, last week was Easter, and... Uh, you know, we, we, we moved our series of Luke. We've been in a series of Luke for a number of weeks now, and we moved pretty fast through Luke in order to arrive at the resurrection uh, last week. And, and we've been going very fast, but today we're going to stop and we're going to slow way down on two verses. And by sitting on those two verses for just a little bit, I'm going to have to rush through some stuff, but I'm going to try to do that in a way that, that hopefully is not, not terribly, terribly rushed. Those two verses are in chapter 24 of Luke. This is after the resurrection. Jesus has made an appearance to the disciples, and as he appears to them, they all have this slightly different experience with with the situation, mostly that they are either scared or they're confused or they're uncertain about what they've experienced. Sometimes they don't recognize him. Uh, Sometimes they think he's a ghost. And if you remember, like Thomas famously, we, we talk about him as doubting Thomas, Thomas famously said, I, I can't even believe it. I won't believe it unless I'm able to like, physically have some empirical evidence that this person raised from the dead. I simply say that to say Luke tells us all of that so that we kind of understand. We may think of ancient people as that being kind of a different time, and they wouldn't have understand like science, but they certainly understood somebody raising from the dead. And they certainly had to grapple with this new thing that had happened. And so it, it's not... It's not totally different than what you and I would deal with in terms of of evidence and how do we actually know this to be true. So in Luke 24, it's interesting because after all of this, Jesus appears to the disciples, and at the end of that, he says this, 
in verse 48, you are, my, you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power on high. Now, Luke is going to write a follow-up, sort of a sequel to this gospel. It's called the Acts of the Apostles. And in that, he's going to describe what happens when the apostles stayed in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit coming on them, and, and then they began to be witnesses to this resurrection of Jesus. But we're going to sit, we're going to narrow this down even further. We're going to sit with this phrase, you are witnesses of these things. Because this is something that as followers of Jesus, we are continually called to be. That is, we are called to be a witness. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've had to be a witness to something. Maybe you were in a classroom one day and uh, somebody cheated or somebody threw a piece of paper or, you know, something happened where the teacher walked in and said, you know, did you see what happened? Tim, can you tell me what, what happened? I'm like, um, I'd rather not, right? Like being a witness to things is not always, not always a good thing. Or maybe you just went out and, you know, you, you went out to get, get some groceries, you know, and, and, and then you witness an accident or you're right behind an accident and you have to pull over because they want you to, to stop and be a witness. And so the police come and they ask you, did you see what happened? Can you tell us what happened? And then you're stuck at being a witness in this situation. You're like, listen, all I wanted to do was get home. That's it. I, I don't want to be a witness. I didn't ask to be a witness. This is not how I want to spend my day. But suddenly, because of circumstances that we have found ourselves in, we are and then are called to be and asked to be a witness to what we have seen and what we have experienced. I was thinking about this and in part because uh, I was thinking about all the funny things I've heard uh, of what witnesses say and, and then testimony. I thought, well, we could do a video thing, but there's just too many really good funny things that happen. So I thought I would just share a few of, of my favorites that I found uh, this week of actual interactions between witnesses and attorneys in a court of law. You ready? This, is, this one is absolutely my favorite. What gear were you in when the, uh, at the moment of impact? The witness, Gucci sweats and Reeboks. <clears throat> or this one, uh, what is your date of birth? July 18th, what year? Every year. <laughs> or this one, she had three children, right? Witness, yes. Attorney, how many were boys? Witness, none. Attorney, were there any girls? Witness, your honor, I think I need a different attorney. Or this one, uh, attorney, these are actual uh, court, court uh, documents. So is your appearance here this morning pursuant to a deposition notice, which I sent to your attorney, witness? No, this is how I dress when I go to work. <laughs> Being a witness uh, is not necessarily intuitive to us, and there are lots of ways they can go wrong. There are a few words that I want us to, to spend a little time with today. If, if you're here this morning and like RCC is new to you or like, Jesus, this Jesus thing is new to you. These aren't necessarily words you're going to be unfamiliar with, and they're words that, um, that are used, generally speaking, of the church are terms that get thrown around, that it's helpful to have a better understanding about how we use them in a broader cultural sense, but even more so how you and I understand them as followers of Jesus and what that means to being a witness in the world around us. The first term is this. It's the term evangelical. Uh, how many of you are, like, have heard this term before, evangelical? Just give me a good, good raise of hands. Most often that term today is used to describe a group of people who are part mostly of a voting block that are churches, okay, and church people. 
So when we talk about the evangelicals, that term is predominantly used to categorize people who have a particular, not just religious bend, but a particular political bend. These two things have gotten tied together in our country, just is how we have come to be known. The term itself simply means, and if you're just like in a general, I'll, I'll get to the, the term, in, the, the Greek in just a second, but the larger term in terms of what we know about it is simply to, maybe if you, if you understand it in a different way that's not political, it's to share the message of Jesus with other people in order to convert them or order for them to be saved or to win them to Jesus. There's lots of phrases that are used around the church as a whole. But to be evangelical means to share good news. Now, that term, and, and even RCC, under this larger umbrella of being an evangelical, do we believe in sharing the good news, RCC, Rockingham Christian Church, would fall under that umbrella of being an evangelical church. We believe in sharing the good news of Jesus. Uh, I could have written this out differently, but Christianity Today wrote this, and I thought it was helpful to get kind of just a background of the Greek terms. The term evangelism comes from the Greek word oiangelion, okay? The E-U at the beginning, if you were to take that off as a prefix, that means good. So anytime in the Greek that E-U is used, it means good whatever follows it, okay? So in this case, it's oiangelion, A-G-G, okay? or gamma gamma in the Greek, makes an NG sound in our English. So if you were to just trans, uh, transliterate it, meaning take it to English, it would be A-N-G-E-L, which is the word angel, okay? Well, we're angels, messengers of God, okay? So the term simply means good message or someone who brings a good message, okay, or good news. The word gospel, for example... Is a little bit different. It, it actually is a translation of that word into Old English. The word goad, okay, G-O-D, G-O-D, goad spell, was the Old English, okay? So goad spell got mushed together into our contemporary English version of gospel. So evangelize or evangelism, oiangelion, is good message or good messenger. That's the Greek word that was used, okay? That gets translated into Old English as goad spell and ultimately gets mushed together into the word gospel that you may have heard today. So when people talk about sharing the gospel or you read the gospel in, in Scripture, that's a, that's a translation of that word oiangelion or good message or good messenger. Okay? So that's one word that we see in Scripture, to, to be a, good, a messenger of the good news. But that's not the term that Jesus uses here to be a witness. The term that Jesus uses to be a witness, and I can't say this very well because I can't roll my R's well, but it's, mar mar <laughs> I'm just going to say martyr, martyr, and that's where we get our word martyr, okay? When you think of the word martyr, almost, almost, almost exclusively we think about that as someone who has died for what they believe, someone who has given up their life for what it is that they believe, but the word martyr itself is to be a witness, is to give testimony to what it is that you've seen or experienced. We talked about this last week at Easter. The reality is that in the first 300 years of the church, two million witnesses of Jesus were killed for their faith, for what they believed and what they shared. And it wasn't because they were terrible evangelists or because they you know, were trying to convert everyone. 
Mostly they were killed because of their faith because in the Roman Empire, they were thought to be atheists, okay? So the reason they were thought to be atheists is because they didn't believe in the emperor being lord of the earth. They didn't believe in the Roman gods. And so anyone who didn't hold to that system was thought to not believe in God at all. So this God of Israel is no God at all, therefore they are atheists. Not only that, they had strange practices. That is not uncommon. It's not different today, right? When you think about practices, I tell this story often because it was strange for me. Uh, I, I had been around church as a kid with my grandparents, but I'd never had like an evangelical church experience, if you know what I mean. Like for those of you who like didn't grow up with anything at all or grew up outside the evangelical church, you know this experience too. But first time I went to anything that was evangelical was in college, and a friend of mine invited me to this like college Bible study, and there were about 20 peers, like 20 college students in there, and the, the first thing we did was sit in a big circle, and somebody with an acoustic guitar sang songs, right? And they're all singing like this very like whispery song of, the words were something like, as the deer pant, panteth for water, they said panteth, right? So I'm like, so my soul longeth after you. And this was one of the weirdest things I'd ever experienced to this point in my life, okay? And then, then they had a prayer time where everyone then reached out like this and held hands. And I, I, I didn't tell this in the first gathering, but the person that sat next to me, like, they were like, like, like the people who like caress when they pray. <laughs> this is my first experience at a Bible study, okay? This is where I'm at. Now, I say that to say church is weird, okay? They're just weird things that we do. And in the first century, it was exactly the same. But, but, but weird to the sense of not like you're uncomfortable, weird to the sense of we find you suspicious and a danger to the entire order of things. That kind of, that kind of weird. So when the early church would take communion, the body and the blood, of, we're going to eat the body of Jesus and drink the blood of Christ. That's weird, okay? And in the early church, that was like, this is cultish worship, atheist. This is why the martyrs, the witnesses of Jesus were killed for their faith early on. Not because they were like being persecuted for their faith in a sense of they're being forward about evangelizing people because the very practice of their faith was a danger to the community at large. Does that kind of make sense? But in order to hold to that as a witness, to hold to Jesus, the question is, they grew from, from a handful of people to 30 million people in that same time period. Their testimony, their witness about Jesus was greater than the martyrdom that they experienced. And so the question becomes, as we watch in our particular culture, our day and age, and in our Western world, and particularly in America, in the United States, we see a decline in uh, a following of Jesus in our country. And, and I think it's important for us to ask these questions about what does it mean to be a witness? What does it mean, this word evangelize or to be evangelical? And how do we make sure that we hold to something that is good news and not something that is bad news in the way we do it? <clears throat> there are three ways that we get this wrong very often. I'm going to give you three ways we get it wrong and then three ways that we should get it right more often, okay? The first way we get it wrong is by 
hearsay. What I mean by that is we give second-person testimony to the experience of Jesus or third-person testimony. Doing college chaplaincy uh, for the last 25 years, I see this quite often, okay, where, uh, so, you know, we grow up in the church and kid goes off to college and what they've, what they've held on to is the, the familial practice of participation in church, but not an experience of the gospel, okay? And so then being introduced to the gospel as a personal thing for the first time, there's, there becomes this place of, okay, does this become my own faith? Do I experience the good news of Jesus? But that's true for every single one of us. I just happen to work amongst young adults mostly. But it's true for every single one of us. The question becomes, like, have we had a firsthand experience with the good news of Jesus? And what is that good news? What is the content of that good news? What is good news to us? But too often, I mean, people know when we're authentic. They know when you're telling somebody else's story and not your own. They know when you're reading a script. They know when you're telling a different story that's not one that you really believe in. And too often, that story gets told not from a firsthand personal experience, but from a distant, this is the information I'm supposed to share with you because I'm evangelical, or because I'm supposed to share about Jesus, and I know it's kind of an obligation to me, and that leads to the second one, that evangelism is something that is an obligation or a command, that Jesus said, you'll be my witness, or go make disciples of all nations, and so this is what I have to do. This is my job, is to be in the army of God and to go make disciples. And so consequently, we use terms like win. We're going to win people to Jesus. What happens when you, what happens on the other side of winning? What's the other side of that? Lose. So we set up this kind of whole system around a language that's no longer good news. It's about winning and losing. And and that becomes then like this this idea of of quotas. It becomes the idea of me having to win an argument. It becomes the idea that, that I have to convince you that I have to, to, to come out on top, and that you need to agree and be in agreement with everything I said. And, and consequently, it becomes like, rather than sharing good news, we're sharing a fight to win. That's the second way we get it wrong in the church, generally speaking. And that often happens because we're not sharing from a personal experience of the good news that's happened in our life. And so we're, we're sharing out of obligation in a way that's meant to win others into this, this thing. The third one is, is pretty difficult because our, our church's history, not RCC specifically, but the church, generally speaking, is riddled with this problem of colonization or coercion. What that simply means is that the church in its past has spent time not converting people through love and good news, but converting people with harm, with threats, with violence, by withholding from people until they convert, until they convert, or by threatening people until they convert. We will do you harm, or we will take something from you, or we will marginalize you. And so consequently, the only way for you to, to not be hurt or harmed or excluded, is to accept these precepts that we have now offered to you. And you can imagine the shallowness of that kind of conversion or that kind of faith, because it's not good news at all. The reality is, for all of us, I mean, we all know this, like, good news is easy to share. When something is good news, 
it is super easy to share. Um, we bought a house last year. We didn't know until 5 o'clock the night we were to close if we were going to get to close. When I got the call that we were going to close on the house, do you know what I did? I texted everybody who had been praying for us. It was like, we got it, we got the house, you know. If, if, you know, if you are going to have a baby, when our daughter told us she's going to have a baby, it's like, oh, this is good news. I think we told everybody before she got to, okay? It's like, you know, these are the things that are anything that's good news, it's easy for us to share. Listen, I, I get so excited about good news. If I park in Boston for, for a two-hour time limit and I come out in three hours and don't have a ticket, my wife will tell you, I'll text her. I didn't get a ticket. It's three hours, an hour over. Good news are things that we have no problem sharing, and they're authentic. People know. They can see it. They can feel it. They can taste it. This is something that you believe in and care about. But too often, we get it wrong by all of those ways. We get it wrong by sharing somebody else's story. We get it wrong by simply doing it out of obligation. And we get it wrong by threatening or coercion. And the church, listen, has the worst history with that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump ahead here real quick because I, I, I want to make sure we, we get to this. There's a, there's a great story. It's a great story in John uh, chapter 4 of Jesus. And, and you may have heard this story before or know this story. But um, it's a story where Jesus has been teaching and performing miracles and his disciples are following him. And, and uh, they're moving through the, the, the country or the area of Samaria. And uh, Jesus is tired, and so he stops, and the disciples are hungry, so they, they go on to get food. This is kind of the way the story unfolds, the way John tells it. And uh, as Jesus is waiting there at the well, uh, there's a woman who comes to draw water from the well. And uh, they strike up a conversation and begin to talk about, on the, on the surface level, just water, surface level things. And, and Jesus, though, uh, turns that to a spiritual question a conversation about spiritual things. And so they begin to engage in spiritual things. Uh, the truth is, everybody is interested in meaning and purpose and spiritual things. Who am I? What am I here for? What is all this about? Does any of it matter? Everybody is interested in those questions. Jesus pushes to those questions of what, what really matters, what is everything about. And when he engages that conversation, uh, he, he goes on to say this. He said, a time is coming, this is him speaking to the woman, it's just the two, and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah, called the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he, which would have been quite an uh, ending to that conversation. Uh, for her to sort of wrestle with, right? Like, okay, is this, is this real? Is this true? This random person who's here at the well. Then the disciples return, and she actually goes back to her village, and John continues. Many of the Samaritans then, the people in her town, uh, believed in him because of the woman's testimony, because of her witness. He told me everything I did. That was her personal testimony. Like, in her time with Jesus, this is what she experienced and what she shared with others. So when they came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers, their own experience with Jesus. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, 
and we know this man really is the Savior of the world. Her testimony, her witness opened the door to others, and then they had their own witness, their own testimony to share of the good news that is Jesus. In my experience, the reason terms like evangelical get so, so sticky and so wrong is because we've, we've kind of ruined them. And there's, there's a, a pretty large movement of people who, are, who want to throw away that term, evangelical. And, and the replacement term becomes like ex-evangelical, okay? So I don't want to be associated with that movement or that past of doing things wrong. And who can blame folks for that? Like, we really have gotten it wrong so often. Failed to offer it from a personal good news perspective that I understand why this exists. But I wonder if it's not possible, too, for us to actually think about what it looks like to, to recapture how the early church was a witness in the world, a witness to good news, and, and maybe even in our own life, if, if only in our own life, recapture evangelical as not a political word, but one that is a word of testimony of something that really matters and brings real good news in our homes, in our neighborhoods, our places of work, and to the places that we, we spend time. I think there, there are three ways Scripture tells us we can get it right as opposed to getting it wrong. I'm going to, Jamie, you may have to help me. I mean, you may have to help me with this. Otherwise, likely I will knock this over and that will be a mess. Got it? Yep. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks. Maybe we'll move it back a little bit. All right. Every once in a while, we have to break out the, the post-it note. The difficulty for you is that we only have one piece of paper left, so I already wrote on it. I'm sorry about that. Um, here's what, here's what, here are three things that Scripture tells us, the ways that we can do this better, okay? Number one is integrity. Integrity. Our witness, first and foremost, is going to be based on our integrity, John 13, 35 says this, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. James says it this way, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. What we do and what we say when they come together is integrity. And lack of integrity is one of the primary ways that we undermine the good news of the gospel. We say this, and we do this, and somehow think it's going to be good news to the world. It's not. It's not good news to you. It's not integrated into our integrity. It's not good news to anyone. That's the exclamation point. Integrity, okay? Like that, okay? That's first and foremost, number one. Number two is this. It's hope. Uh, Peter said it this way. So 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Repeat it one more time. Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. That's the sunshine right here, okay? That's hope. I, I, I want to say this. Um, 
One of the things that we don't practice enough as a church, I don't mean this just at RCC, I mean in general in the church largely, is sharing our testimony with one another. I can't remember the last time I was in church where people just shared their testimonies about what Jesus has done with one another. This is why Jesus is good news in my life. Let me tell you about the hope that Jesus brought to my life. Even in general conversations, again, I don't mean this to guilt you, okay? This is like, this is me too. If you ask me about the Bruins, I'll talk for half an hour, okay? You ask me about the hope that I have in Jesus, well, I might be a little more cautious, right? Part of that is because we don't have practice in doing it. We don't, we don't do it often enough. So I want to say this, right? Be ready to share the hope that we have, that you have. It's not, your hope is not my hope. My hope is not your hope. There's a general story that's true, but what's happened in my life is different than what's happened in your life. And how Jesus rescued me is different than how Jesus rescued you where you were. But the rescue of Jesus is the same for all of us, and it's good news for people who need rescue, for sure. The last thing is this. It's to teach or to give answers. We often start and end here and don't spend enough time over here. So Jesus said, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, this is a verse you're familiar with, go and make disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is a learner. A disciple is someone who follows a teacher. Make, make disciples, learners of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so we end up starting here and ending here, but where people resonate is with hope. Where people find you to be credible is in your integrity. You've probably heard this before. People don't, people don't really care what you know until they know how much you care. I would add that that is true of integrity as well. I say all that to say Jesus says that we are called to be witnesses of the good news. And this morning I pray, again, for, for the church as a whole, but for you and I individually and personally. I'm not perfect at this. I, listen, I, there are places that my integrity still needs to come together. But I want to be able to be honest about that. I want to be able to be confessional about that. I want people to know that where, where these two things don't align, I want you to tell me, because I want to be a good witness for Jesus, and I want to be able to share the good news that I, I have experienced personally in Jesus, and I don't want that to be a secondhand story. I want that to be the story that I've come to know, and to be able to share so that others can follow, to become a disciple, a follower, a student of Jesus, to experience that salvation, that rescue that I needed as well. If you need it, you're welcome to to stay today and share and talk about that. If you have other questions, uh, I'll be around. You're welcome to stay and talk about that today. But I'm going to pray today that we as individuals and as a community increase our witness for this good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, today we confess that too often in the church as a whole, we have, we have gone about this in a way that defines winners and losers, and we've gone about this in a way that, that becomes obligatory. We've gone about this in a way that, that becomes work and is not good news at all. We don't even feel like it's good news. But Father, I, I pray that we, we reach a point with our integrity, with our hope, with our own following, with our ability to, to share and to teach that we, that we are good news and that the good news that we have to share matters and is real in the world around us. 
Father, we confess and ask for forgiveness or we've gotten it wrong. We pray for grace to do it better. We pray for forgiveness for those we've hurt when we've not brought good news into the world. So, Father, we just confess that today. And we are grateful that your love is so big, that your grace is so big, that we can't be separated from it. And so we lean into that today in Jesus' name. Amen.